Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is philosophy versus improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. Hi, I'm Mark Lindenmeyer, a philosophy maven who wants to learn improv. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv sage who wants to learn philosophy. Each of us has come today with a lesson in mind to convey to the other person. We have two rules for this conversation. Number one, we're not going to just say what that lesson is up front. And two, we're not going to take turns. When we both think we've taught and learned what we want, we'll each try to report on what we've learned. Then, based on which lesson has produced the most profound effect in the learner, a winner will be declared by our panel of judges who are watching our every move silently. I'm really worried about those silent judges. Let me just say, it's uh, kind of intimidating. I realize people at home aren't aware of them, but it's... uh, That one on the far left is, uh, I don't know. Steely-eyed gaze. (laughs) Looks kind of like my permanent sub we had in elementary school. She was just just a real crank. The coin toss gave me the, the advantage, so I will give us the starting question. Bill, Billiam, if you will. Not Billiam. All right. <laughs> what is reality? Wow. Okay. Do you want an answer or do you want a question that, <laughs> a rejoinder question? I think you just gave the response. <laughs> give me a starting point. Take a stab. Well, I guess... We can talk reality in kind of a metaphysical sense, larger than us sense, but then we can also talk about the reality we face every day in our lives. And my fear is sometimes those two things don't always meet up, or there isn't a lot of overlap, or depending on what's happening in our lives, sometimes bigger discussions of what is or isn't reality are cold comfort. Does that mean that the bigger discussions of reality are somehow broken or wrong or don't mesh with, are we living in a two-dimensional illusion? Well, that's great. I got rent on Friday. That's my reality. And the weight of that reality, I think, it doesn't matter what the real reality is. If the transient reality is compels us to action, how can we ignore it? This question was brought to mind by a comment that you'd made last time, which maybe we should make that a practice of of listening to what the person said last time where you were talking about transitioning from being real to being funny. And so Ah. to get a starting point of what being real is, and I think, yeah, you've hit on sort of the obvious distinction of being real, being realistic. That sounds like we're trying to demonstrate in our scene or whatever it is, some sort of verisimilitude to reality. So we have some idea of what that reality is. And I just wanted to see from you what the starting point was. But it seems that there are multiple things we might refer to. Can we say a little more about, are there even forgetting for the moment, the ultimate metaphysical reality, those more homey kinds of realities? Is there just one? Is there more than one? Does everybody have their own? When a self-professed philosophy person says, what is reality? My mind went right to philosophy day one, 101. In that improv world, I think, man, maybe reality is what reality, the effect it has on people. That's not a cheap answer or, or a I know it when I see it kind of answer. But 
I have had the chance to teach some students from other countries, other cultures, and the resonance sometimes between things isn't always the same. Now, I will say this. People for whom English is a second language, they will go to topics that are more clownish. They may be using their bodies more. And there are certainly universal human topics, love, pair bonding, uh, <laughs> rejection, belongingness that I think are probably true amongst all humans that have ever lived. And in that regard, you know, reality is, is that, boy, this, this looks like something that I could have gone through or know someone who went through. And the level of detail that it is being presented to me is such that, that I believe it. A child experiences reality. They're, they're not immune to it, but their lack of grasp on language or, or understanding means that when they, you know, when your six year old tries to tell you that somebody exploded at the mall, you, you know, that's not really what happened, but they start telling their story and you tease out from them. Oh, I was at the mall and with mom and we're at the food court and some guy spilled spaghetti on his chest and he looked like his guts. And suddenly, Oh, okay. Now I see. And now this situation actually makes sense. It seems real. So it sounded like if you want to say there is a truth, a reality to the description that someone exploded, then it's a matter of decoding what artistic move is being made there. What metaphor, what comparison, as long as you think that that holds, that it really did sort of look like somebody <laughs> with SpaghettiOs on their shirt does sort of look like somebody who exploded, then, well, it's not exactly true, but it's it's true in a sense that you can understand what why the hell they would want to say that. And if this happens in a moment, I don't just disregard my child when they say that. I query them. Huh? What? I treat it, and I treat what they said with value. I make what they said, their experience was real, even though it, <laughs> it doesn't make sense without a little more details. Whoa, 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 what happened? You were where? Okay. And then, huh, uh, uh, oh, you know, I guess at an improv scene, real is what the two people or three people agree that real is. And there's a classic improv, you know, yes and or agreement that, that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, you want to get into a long discussion, you know, ask anyone at a bar near an improv theater what yes and means and you'll, you'll be there till closing. But we can always take it to mean that all participants agree as to what is really happening. Now, that doesn't mean outstanding things can't happen. That doesn't mean I can't disbelieve something, even though it's real, you know, there's a lot of disbelieving going on in America right now. And it certainly makes for tragic theater. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to go too far on the television to see people choosing to not believe something, even though it's quite real, talking about COVID. This sense of reality, one is, do the people on stage buy it and believe it? And two, are treating it real? And again, even if I disbelieve it, no, 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 look, stop, all right, stop. People don't just explode at the mall, okay? I'm still in playing along and agreeing that my child did say that someone exploded. And people understand the mall and the audience. People understand the food court. People understand six-year-olds telling stories. So for them, they can buy into this, to this reality we've presented to them. So it sounds like a common thread seems to be that human agreement has something to do with at least what is going to count as reality. Yeah, and sometimes that agreement is, I wouldn't say unwilling, but is, well, I want to make this scene work, so I'm just going to agree. And agreed, again, does not mean I love it, I hate it. It just means this is happening, and I can hate that it's happening. I mean, every moment we are in life, we either are where we want to be, or we are where we don't want to be, and something is keeping us there. 
There's no other option. So your character in the improv scene either wants to be there, your character, not the actor, the character either wants to be there or they don't want to be there and something is compelling them to be there. I don't want to be in this doctor's waiting room. However, I'm waiting for my doctor's appointment, so I have to be here. I hope the actor always wants to be on stage. I hope the actor always wants to be involved, but the character, the character might not. And I think that's a common misunderstanding. Sometimes when people get into improv, they think of this is real. This is really happening. And therefore I must be excited about it or happy about it and can't push back. And that's just not true. You can be completely unhappy and miserable (laughs) about the situation that you're in. So some of what seems to determine reality insofar as it's based on human agreement is also agreement on sort of what is important. So it could well be the case that some people fall below the poverty line. Say we're we're talking, we're doing political discourse, but you know, certain sides of the political spectrum might just want to emphasize that, well, most people don't, and there are things that could help them. And, you know, we have a system that if you put forth your effort, then you don't have to do that. And so, you know, maybe it becomes your fault if you're one of the people that do not take advantage of the the things that would save you from that or don't put the work into getting you out of that. And other folks, you know, so this is, of course, a, a key point of disagreement that can you deny until until a, a homeless person, a poor orphan is brought right in front of you in some way on your television screen, into your living room, something, then you can live, you know, with your peer group in an environment that seems to deny that reality. You know, you've created a shared space of what you're considering important, what you have to do. Oh, my rent is coming up. And the things that might be part of someone else's reality or objective reality or something don't enter into it. But yet you've got the intersubjective agreement. Yeah, I would say that's an unfortunate reality of human human life and, and whatnot. We tend to not see the problems that aren't right in front of us and discount them. But again, now that's something we can actually have a scene about. I could take that point of view or you could take that point of view. Another person could be like, oh, come on, man, just turn on the television. You know, you don't, you're, you're being a little blind to what's going on. We could actually do something about that. We could agree that that's the reality we're having. And in fact, I think the audience has probably met people with both those points of views and might see some resonance in that situation. It's just that you continue to deny in this conversation the reality of the lava demons. <laughs> and I know most people don't necessarily they just want to put the lava demons aside. But, you know, if you make one kind of mistake, people will think it's just, oh, it's a heart attack or something. But really, it's the lava demons Look, Mark, that are taking you. Mark, I, I realize you can't prove a negative. Okay, I get that. But let's not use my inability to prove the lava demons aren't real. To assume that they are real. Okay, I have not seen a lava demon. I, you know, I live in Chicago. There, there's not a volcano for thousands of miles, all right? Can we put this lava demon thing to the side? It's the volcano that's within every one of us. Oh, come on. If you, <sighs> if you go deep down into your essence, you will find that there's something motivating your actions. That It is, <clears throat> it is the, the essential heat of existence. What is below that? Lava demons. Can we get back to the topic? Do you think people tuned in to hear about lava demons, or do you think they tuned in to hear an amazing discussion about philosophy? And I think most people agree with me that ignoring the lava demons is foolish, is unwarranted. Once you have the lava demons in your heart, then you will see that everything makes sense, that I can look <sighs> on a, a glass of water as lava demon relief. Mark, let's not talk about lava demons for three minutes 
and then we can talk about lava demons all you want. How about that? All right, let's start a scene that'll perhaps go for the rest of this discussion in which we assume that the lava demons are not real. I'm, I'm okay with doing that. We'll agree with that. All I, right. I got a, I got a comment on our first episode that we don't do that. If you're teaching improv, that it was absurd that you did not have me do any kind of scene. And so this is the scene that I'm suggesting is that we do the lava demon free, a lava demon free scene. All right, here we go. You know, something you mentioned last week that really resonated with me was this whole notion of, you know, a philosopher can't, in the heat of a moment, stop a situation. If you're going to bring in lava demon, the heat, heat again. We said no. no, 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 no okay, all right. That was barely two minutes forty. That was that was hardly okay. any time went by. All right, I'll just I'll say you can do lava demon adjacent topic like heat. That's okay. All right, I, I just I wasn't clear that that was a foundation for the scene. I'm sorry for disrupting it. I should have yes answered you. Fair enough. Okay, you had said something last week about when a you know philosopher is in a situation that might require immediate action that they can't pause time and make an abstraction and go through and do their if then at and you know uh, all their little syllogisms and things to figure out how how to perform in any given situation and that that was an interesting thing and i think it's true and it's probably a big discussion in the ph- philosophical community i'm presuming it is you know, h- how far can you make an abstraction before the abstraction has lost all meaning i mean you could probably find any sort of discussion in the philosophical community but for the most part, if you take an ethics class, you're learning about here are the prime schools of ethics and here are the ways of breaking down. Are we going to talk about the result or the action or the virtue of the person? And there certainly is something about the point that I made. I, it was not original to me about rules being different from their application, but I wouldn't say it, there are not conferences just on this. Anyway. Hey, Mark. Yes. I'm real proud of you, buddy. Okay. I'm sorry. I thought you were, I thought you were pointing at the lava demon and that, I, I, that well, would break well, the scene, but no. I, I was going to say you didn't mention it in that whole that whole comment. That was great. So I've heard, for instance, just to change the topic to something uh, sort of related, a different denominational, an account of, you know, you might think that there's no way to experience, you know, there's no proof for the existence of God. That it's something, it is. it falls in, in the realm of the noumena, as Kant would say. In other words, that metaphysical truth, that metaphysical reality, and it's nothing that we could prove you can't prove the positive, you can't prove the negative. Some people experience life every day that they just, I see something beautiful before me and I actually perceive it as a gift from God, which sounds a little wild, but it seems like any sort of belief about ultimate reality can get embedded in your everyday practice. Just like, you know, those you would hope that your moral rules would get embedded so that when you're encountering individual situations there, there, you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to do the calculations. And so certainly one way we navigate our reality, right? It is, we have models that we construct based on our beliefs about what is important and what actually is, <laughs> what is going to bite us in the ass if we don't pay attention to us like the lava demons. And oh, so we, you got so far. Okay. You were doing so great. Okay. Sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. But you really were doing great avoiding the lava demons. <laughs> well, yes. I was going to say that. I have a question right back for you. This has been great. We've been real meta. We've been real meta here, Mark. And here would be my question about, you know, you, you mentioned you see a beautiful flower or something and you feel, you feel God. You feel part of this bigger thing. You feel this semi-spiritual thing. Or you just see it. Or you see it. I mean, but maybe that's, maybe that's a thing. Is it, is, what's the connection between feeling it and actually just seeing it as the gift from God? Would you say that that is a choice or that is a biological impulse? 
an instinct, something we just can't turn off, or it is expressed more or less in different people. For some people, it may be the slightest blade of grass will fill them with spiritual awe. And for others, it's got to be sunset over the Grand Canyon with a flock of birds. I mean, it seems more habit. So habit is not a choice. Ask your average junkie, <laughs> are you are you making this choice to be jonesing for the smack? There were some choices involved at some point, maybe before in the kind of things we're talking about, before you were even in a position to be making choices. You you inherit the attitudes of your elders. Uh, you're we're indoctrinated in all sorts of ways. You know, if we have a very lava demon centric uh, culture, then you will have that as part of your toolkit and the way that you interpret the world. So it is, yeah, a model that's instilled with habit. And once it's in you, though, habit is you know biologically instantiated. So it's not. It might not be uh, biological in the sense of genetic. But it is biological in the sense of your brain is doing something. Your body has certain patterns that it's accustomed to follow. I'm glad that lava demon slide. That was a good for instance. And we'll leave it as a for instance. It's just, it was just hypothetical. Totally. Because within the scene, I could hypothetically say if there were lava demons. But that yeah. might be getting a little too complicated. Because sometimes those quotes within quotes, those circles, they actually bend around and you find that you've actually refashioned reality through the, the hypothetical within the scene. Or have you not found that's the case, you know, in one of your improv things where somebody like, pretend you're a man with a mustache and then you do the scene and then you find that you actually have the mustache when you're done. I have never grown facial hair having left a stage, but there are definitely times when themes and whatnot circle back. I kind of don't want to leave this thing though about is being filled with awe looking at a sunrise or something. And you, you say it's a habit. Would you say that what percentage of humanity throughout all cultures would that habit have to exist in before we start to say it's like, you know, maybe it's a habit kind of like, I don't know, anybody doesn't like a teaspoon of sugar. We are predisposed to that habit. So you might think, Certainly, if you work around feces all the time, you would perhaps undo the habit that evolution has helpfully delivered to us of wanting to avoid that substance and seeing it objectively as just a foulness that is within a particular range of experiences. And so will determine without us having to think about it, without us having to form a habit about it, that we don't want to be in those experiences. We want to use proper plumbing, etc. Okay. Plumbing? <laughs> Just as an example of something, well, are you implying that because we have plumbing, we have the habit that we do? If we were in pre-plumbing days, then we would just be walking in shit all the time, and maybe we wouldn't have the aversion to it that we do now. It was just, it was just a strange connection to make. It was just, we, next thing you're talking about plumbing and number twos. Why did we go there? Why did you go there, Mark? Because there are things that clearly, when you think about it, whether they are given to us by nature, but preferences emotional skins on things, an essential part of the way what we consider our reality is not just that something is there, but that it has. And you went to turds. It could have been anything. Oh, eating, breathing, Skunks. friends, right. you know, and it's just there are many options. Now, Mark, I just wanted to illustrate something else that's true about improv. Yes, please. <laughs> and I can we talk a little bit about if you're real, then being funny is never very far away. And one thing that I think both of us have been doing a little bit with your lava monsters and with your pipe thing is that if I can highlight something that's strange or weird or absurd in the loosest sense of the word, well, then we can make it something. Nothing has an innate 
value, quote unquote, per se, if the players on stage create it. And it's the idea that $500 is not any more valuable than $5 if someone with a gun to my head asks for $5. And that it is the circumstance around any situation that will determine how important or unimportant something is. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So circle it back. What makes us consider something a relevant reality is once we've gotten the idea that, yes, the worlds that we live in are going to be of necessity different than whatever the world from God's eye view, whatever that I'm not even sure it can be described coherently. That is a point of contention among philosophers, whether we even should be referring to something. But clearly, you know, we have senses. We can only take things in in certain ways. There are already things that science has told us about the matter that we encounter that are surprising to us. And if we had enhanced senses, then we would detect more of reality. So it at least gives the idea that there's way more of reality than we actually perceive. So there is introduces that distinction between the perceived world and the real world. Well, within the perceived world, what we're going to consider reality at a given time a lot of it is kind of how it's useful for us to cut things up. As you say, what circumstances we're in, what purposes we come to the table with. And so if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, you know, you can be very focused in what you're considering. If you're within a scene, you're very much focused on what are the relevant details of this reality. And you're not going to let yourself be distracted by something irrelevant. Or is that even the case that if you could make something relevant. You could bring it in a scene. There's, there's more freedom there. So you can much more so than if we're, say, having a political discussion and trying to keep it realistic in a scene you can change on a dime. I think that's true. I think it's the opposite of me calling out your toilet humor and saying, whoa, 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 what? If I were to accept that, not accept, what's the word? Accommodate, accommodate your choice to go to toilet humor. That's fine. But that means it's not remarkable. That means it's not strange or weird you know when i was a kid and you'd watch sesame street and there'd be ray charles playing the piano or or yitzhak perlman playing the violin and here's this guy i don't know what blind is i don't get it and why is he swaying he's good at the piano that's for sure you know but he's kind of weird the way he sways and things you know yitzhak perlman with his crutches everyone just accommodates that and because this behavior is accommodated society says don't not don't look at it but just let that slide that's not important. And because society says that, people with disabilities and things, hopefully, fingers crossed, can feel more a part of that society. It's unremarkable because we all choose to make it unremarkable. Now, there's a big school of thought in the improv world, primarily from the UCB theater in New York, if they're still around, where it is our goal to look for, to hunt for things that might be outside of reality and for the player to acknowledge them and point them out. Mark, what's with the plumbing? What's going on with that, man? You know, that would be my way of giving value to Mm -hmm. that and not accommodating it. You know, I would never go to Ray Charles and say, Mr. Well, he's deceased. Mr. Charles, what's with the swaying and everything? What's with the glasses? What's with the, you know, I I wouldn't make that. You could still go to Stevie Wonder if you'd like. I think he's available. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he's he's probably out there somewhere in Los Angeles, but I would never do that because I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to highlight those things. I don't want to draw attention to those things. But they did have the tool of Oscar, who not only is in an environment where he's sitting in his own feces all the time, obviously, 
but it would have been okay for Oscar to be like, ah, look at the blind man. And then for the other characters to correct Oscar. Oh, Oscar. To, yes, exactly. To say, this is why we shun you. This is why you have to live in a garbage can because you have no manners and you do not know how to properly do a yes and in a scene. <laughs> yeah, I think that's correct. And, you know, without, uh, without the other people, it's that whole thing about like, 98%, 99.5%. You watch a, a funny sketch on SNL or any TV show, there is absurdity and reality having friction with each other. And they're grinding against each other a little bit. And it can be easy, especially for younger improvisers, to say, oh, we can make this grinding more intense by making the absurd more absurd. And you could have said volcano monsters, fire demons, but you also could have said naked fire demons. And you also could have said naked fire demons that are constantly urinating. Well, is that funny? Is that more absurd if they're constantly urinating? What they often miss is the fact that a small absurdity with a tremendous amount of reality will achieve the same effect. We'll get the same friction with a small absurdity and a very strong pushback of reality. You can have a, a very subtle difference, a very subtle thing that may be quote unquote absurd, but I can like, whoa, 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 Mark? I don't want to have peas and poops in the show, okay? My mom hears this, all right? Can we just knock it off? And I didn't need to have you say about grinding harder when you're talking about the various levels of absurdity that could be. But that's just, just came to right in my mind, okay? I'm not, that's not, let's not go there either, okay? All right, are we cool? Are we cool? All right, can we just be done with the scene in which the, see, they don't like to be called <laughs> fire monsters they're fire demons demon is not monstrous a demon can be worshipped a demon just depends on your uh, proclivities we are really getting into a concentric circles of improv scenes here mark this is i don't know where where the surface is i really don't i'm looking up i'm running out of air mark (laughs) all right well we need a safety we need a safety word i'm gonna push the button that is gonna put us into the noumenal world So I've pushed the button. We are now in touch with the things themselves. We are no longer uh, bound by our own perceptual veils and filters. We now uh, have true reality before us. And I see, uh, I don't know if I like what I see, but I'm going to yes and it. I'm going to, I'm going to say, okay. Well, again, once you get into it, it, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's right there. You know, it's right there. And all we're doing is like, the reality of, hey, here's a podcast, and one of the podcast guys, he gets a little weird sometimes, you know, and that's a funny idea, but it's strength or it's unstrength at being funny is going to be all the people around them saying, has Mark always mentioned fire demons? Is this, is this a new thing? And I think that that's something that gets missed sometimes is the straight man, the straight person that grounds things and, and lets everyone know, yeah, this is really happening. There's a podcast host talking about fire demons. That, that happened. You heard it right. And that position is often overlooked, but super important in humor in general and in comedy and in improv for sure. And at some point we should talk about how language fits into this because you can't use straight man or straight person. The, that term, both of the terms of that term, straight man, don't work anymore. <laughs> I don't need to know whether you're, you're straight, what your proclivities are. Now, me saying like, ah, you're right, you're right, this, today's are crazy. That would be me accommodating. You're pretending that that was a funny joke. Well, not pretending, but it's, it's accommodating. I was simply demonstrating that I can accommodate that line by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, things are crazy these days. Anyway, 
<laughs> or I could say, look, Mark, it's a term. All right, I, I, let's not get social justice warrior yet. I, I understand. We need to come at this with some grace and understanding. That would be me highlighting something you said and as opposed to accommodating something you said. All right. Do you feel like you have taught the lesson that you came in here to teach? I don't know. I, I kind of took your bait a little bit. I liked what you were going with at, at this notion of reality, and I got, got off my game ever so slightly. You know, last time I asked you at the end what you thought you learned, and I, I said at the beginning of this that that's going to be part of the format. If you'd asked me what I learned at the end of last time, I don't think I would have been able in that moment to tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> however... I get the advantage of doing an editing pass, so I get to. We both get to listen to this after the fact, at least the way that we're pacing <laughs> these right now. I don't know if that will always be the case, but it is the hard part. Do you want to take a stab at what the point was that I was trying to convey, or do you want me to go first? I'm trying to remember who went first last time. Why don't you go first this time? Well, I didn't even have to answer last time, and oh I'm gosh, a, I'm again having a complete empty brain. But it's easier to say, and I'm sure this is going to be the same when you try to comment on mine. What general topic we were talking about than what the actual lesson was. So I certainly got a strong lesson about accommodation, that it's not just yes anding everything, that a careful way of saying no, of calling attention to something actually can give it more importance. Now, was that the overall lesson or was that just a point you made toward the end that I actually remember? That was close to the, the overall lesson did not evolve past the first couple data points. And those were in the first couple points. So bravo, okay. bravo. Uh, <laughs> the notion of humor being very close to reality and how do we start moving away towards humor? And that's totally it. Do I accommodate someone's move or do I call it out? Do I acknowledge it as weird or absurd or strange? If I thought you were going for something, I thought your first question and some of your follow-ups about the nature of reality is something that you, you were going for. And perhaps how as an, as an improviser or as a philosopher, we can presume to know the reality that we are showing or believing in and how that interacts with the audience's perception of, of that reality. And is it the same or different? Yes. Uh, your, your face is telling me <laughs> I'm close. My problem today is that you kind of gave a really good answer immediately <laughs> and kind of made the point that I wanted to make, which is just this, what Kant calls the difference between the noumenal and the phenomenal realm. Wow. In other words, the world as it is in itself and the, the phenomena that we actually experience. And so once you put a difference in there, and again, as I've said, there is actually, once, once you make that distinction, since the phenomenal realm is the only one that we actually deal with, is there any sense in talking about, I mean, there's always more layers of depth to the phenomena you know, if the science is studying the phenomena, then we're discovering what particle physics is discovering is still basically part of the experienced world. It's just not the part that I experience in a way, you know, that I understand it in terms of quarks. Yeah. And there are lots of directions you can go from there. But I pointed at some of the sort of pragmatic that it depends and bringing in some of the, the social and emotional, you know, there's a lot of components. So there's many discussions that we could further have a, within this about reality, but just sort of setting out that basic structure in the first place. Is that controversial when there's two different realities? I think that folks often feel like there is a, this is sort of not within philosophical circles, but if you just ask the average person, they'll think of terms of, well, there's the subjective reality and then there's the objective reality. And the objective reality really is there. But a lot of the stuff that we consider objective, like, well, it really means interpersonal agreement. 
right? You can go back and check it. You can check it again. But that doesn't mean that there aren't fire demons right under the surface <laughs> waiting, you know, that, that we're not all in the matrix and that we could all just wake up at any point. Like we can't yeah. rule that out in advance, but we could still make these relative distinctions between obviously deluded or a shared reality that we're setting up in a scene, but is obvious fiction versus quote unquote objective. Yeah. Something you just mentioned, in fact, about, I forget which word Kant used for it, but the reality that we are experiencing and the idea that, or that you can always go deeper and that there's a deeper thing to it. And that my whole story about like a child telling you a story, it's that that's the whole point is you have to explore deeper to really understand it. And there's always a deeper place to go. And that perhaps that is a good metaphor for life is that we are experiencing it through a child's eyes. And that's only through deeper, partially examining it that we uh, can learn more truths. Uh-oh. Oh, you're almost going to quote the name of my other podcast. So that's yeah, uh, I, was, I, I was going for it. I missed it. Oh man, I was I was <laughs> that was I was going for it. I, I swung and missed taking part of it and using it in the context is even better than a direct quote. I think <laughs> what, what you did, I'm yes, ending that. Uh, Fouled it off my toe and broke my foot. The judges I see have written on the paper and they've handed the envelope to the steely-eyed lady that we are talking about who uh, I see is handing you the envelope. Why don't you reveal, was it the philosophy lesson or the improv lesson that produced the most profound effect in today's discussion? While they enjoyed the extended, multi-layered improv scene that occurred in the middle of our chatting, they found it to be a little too meta and hard to appreciate as real. Your recap at the end pushed it over the edge, and philosophy won in the ninth inning. All right. Well, thank you, judges. I see one of the judges is really unhappy with that majority result, is storming out. Okay, so we're going to have fewer judges next time. Maybe we'll get some new judges in. I think maybe we could tell in each of these discussions a little more about at least one of the judges. But for now, I think let's let them retain their anonymity, and I don't give them mics. So uh, I think 73 is a big number to have. It is a lot. It took that envelope, uh, you know, with the, the piece of paper. It started going pretty early on. And I'm afraid people were, you know, some were making their judgments, you know, within the first five minutes. But I guess that is sort of their option. Maybe we can institute a, an electronic system by which they can just put in their. Yeah. In fact, maybe it's one of those like during political debates where uh, it sort of goes toward the philosophy side. It's just I don't I don't know that I want that real time feedback. I think that might be a distraction. Or cut it down to seven. I just think 73 is a, a big number. It's a little unwieldy. And that scheduling was a nightmare. Yeah. I I'm going to say that right now. It is amazing that we were able to, to book this on an only a week's notice. I mean, <laughs> we had to go through a lot of contestant potential <laughs> And scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's make this conversation about judges go a long time. <laughs> All right, we're now in the after party, after show here, which we'll make brief again. Who knows whether the public will hear this part. The people that I sent this to seemed to like the first discussion, but I was wondering whether we could do it again. <laughs> I enjoyed it once we got into it. Yeah, I've enjoyed both of these, and I sent the first one to a buddy of mine as well, and he, he enjoyed it as well, and he had smart questions about it that illustrated that he listened. Any notes that we should pass on? I gave you the one note, which is, yeah. I can't believe you didn't do a scene. Him, Bill commenting on how bad you are in your scene but we would did. be much more useful than him talking in at the abstract. Yeah, so we... We did do a scene. At we least actually, went halfway. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as a scene. I didn't do a funny voice, so I, it, you know, is it a scene if I don't... It didn't have a clear delineated beginning and end. 
And perhaps that's something, if you would like to have a clear delineation between the beginning and end of when the scene is, that can happen. Whatever feels natural, I'm happy to go with it. But I mean, again, to your buddy, what was my opening My opening statement? We're improvising already. Yes. Yeah, wow. there you go. So <laughs> did you get anything helpful? One, Adel Refai was surprised that I somehow knew who uh, Tom Felton was, but not his character, Draco Malfoy. <laughs> and that's the kind of momentary brain fart that I like, because, of course, there's no logical reason for that whatsoever. Well, boy, if you could turn that into a, a behavior, that would be a crackerjack improv scene. If you only remember the obscure thing, <clears throat> you know, well, I remember the, the Wright brothers mechanic who built their engine, but I always forget the two guys, Johnny and Craig, right? Is that who Johnny and Craig? You know, just always remember the obscure thing and forget the obvious thing. That'd be very fun. And again, it's going to take everyone around that person going, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? You know, but there's definitely something there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I could keep that going for two and a half minutes, knowing the obscure thing, but not the, <laughs> that's a big lift. That's a big lift right there. But if you could pull it off a few times. Oh man. I love that guitar player on Thriller, a song. Who's, I, I, I'm not sure who sang it, but the guitar player. Da, 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 da. It's great. It really is great in the piano. You know, Quincy I was Jones thinking it was Eddie, Quincy Eddie Jones Van produced Halen, that. but I think he uh, just unbeat it. Was unbeat it? Yeah. Well, anyway. I, mean, Qu- I know Quincy Jones produced Thriller, but that singer guy was fantastic. <laughs> All right, let's not cannibalize <laughs> that, what, might, that, yeah. <laughs> what might be a good. Uh, inclusion in the regular discussion. I think it might be very meta if we just always include these after talks as part of the regular discussion because they haven't gone too long so far. No. So I'm going to leave it with inviting anybody that should hear this to, yeah, send us more feedback, send us questions. Sure. Maybe we'll use this point to challenge ourselves and ha- have it That'd not be just be a reality that the two of you and I have created, but that other people get to at least have their say. And I think as a great trivia question, no internet, no internet allowed. Who sang on the album Thriller, produced by Quincy Jones. I think that's a great trivia question. Throw it out there to the universe. See who, <laughs> see who, see who knows the right answer. No looking it up. No fair looking it up. All right, buddy. Good to, <laughs> good to chat with you again. Um, do we have a, you know, I watched part of one of your improv jams. I yeah, need to yeah. spend some more time with that. Do you have any uh, additional? Do we want to give another recommendation of something or other that might be helpful to the other person? Uh, I'm not sure what your comedy pedigree is or what you're finding funny these days, but really only 1920s vaudeville. Everything after that, it just loses me. I don't, I don't get it. There is something that like talking about absurdity and whatnot. There's ever since kind of the middle nineties. I don't know if you remember space goes coast to coast. Oh yes. That whole thing about how like, just how absurd can we be? I think that like it was very different than like, you know, it's Pat, which is a very much, you have the absurd person and everyone who's real. And then you started just getting everyone's crazy. And that's been interesting in the last 30 years. Maybe I'll send you a few links to some things that I'm, I'm enjoying right now and I find really funny right now. Well, I think that's a good thing to, given what just happened today, to point our listeners at that if you've never seen a Space Ghost Coast to Coast clip or Aqua Teen Hunger Force, sort of the next generation of that. Oh, yes. That, that, is, my, that is my recommendation back to you, and I guess we're both familiar <laughs> with these things already, but that can be for the audience. I'll send you six or eight, and maybe one of those, maybe six or eight, three or four, and if there's one you haven't seen, maybe that'll... I only look at things in sixes or eights. I don't <laughs> I don't actually like threes. I don't like to divide into threes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, and I, I listened to uh, Nick Vatterat, the f- Comedians and Philosophers thing. Oh, so on Danny LaBelle's Danny uh, Labelle's, Modern Day yeah. Philosophers. So uh, Nick Vatterat uh, was the guest. Yes. I'm not actually I, I, familiar I with I him. I knew Nick Vatterat. We're not close friends, but we're oh. familiar with each other. So it's like, oh, well, I'll listen to Nick's. 
but yeah, I think it's a, it's a cool format and a, and a cool thing. I think that the two of them know each other fairly well. So it rambled a little bit. It was like two hours. Oh my gosh, you guys. But, uh, <laughs> The idea of introducing a philosopher and going over some of their statements and things was cool and fun, and it was nice hearing, hearing Nick again. All right. Bye, folks. Oh, that was recorded? That was recorded. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>